The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Steven! Right here, Jabba. I've been waiting for you. Did you let the Dark Time podcast? You didn't think I was going to run, did you? In a life day Christmas. Look, Jabba, even I go on vacation sometimes. You think I had a choice? But this week, I got a nice, easy episode. Now I'll pay you back, plus a little extra. Just need a few more builds. CL12CT killer! CL12, Jabba, don't push it. Steven! Steven Podcasty! Jabba, you're a valued listener of the Dark Times Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite hut. And I'm Steven, your favorite smuggler looking to make a quick buck off of a farm boy and his grandpa. 15,000 credits to take him to Alderaan, man. Like, what a steal. Seriously, what a <laughs> fucking easy job. What could possibly go wrong? It'd be even funnier if Han knew Alderaan was gone. He'd just be like, fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it, Alderaan. Yeah, pay up front. <laughs> All right, Chewy, better fucking scrub the NAF computer. <laughs> They're never going to know. It was all an act um, the, the whole time. It was all an act. He, he acted surprised when, when they showed up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Asteroid field or something. They already briefed him on it back when he was in the Imperial Academy. Like They, yeah, they knew it like, was going to happen. They were going to destroy Alderaan. <laughs> And he's like, okay, I'm out. It's day one TIE fighter school. Uh, we have an email from Alex Vondi. Yeah, uh, I'll read this one, Sam, if you're cool with that. Okay. Hey, guys, I've been catching up on your episodes and just finished listening to the two episodes on the module I made called The Auction. I'd forgotten so much of what I had written. I enjoyed listening to your reactions. Here's a link to the missing map. Uh, it was uh, Jeffrey, Jeff Rollmonger's found this exact map so that that's confirmed that we have the one now right yeah it's the exact same map so that's it is the right awesome. map. that's 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 wonderful now i want to go back and rewrite it galaxy of intrigue hadn't come out yet i think whole sections would work better as skill challenges what's more i would want to include some evidence of impact on the other competitors when the pcs don't rescue them even if they do survive destroy damaged bodyguards etc keep up the good work alex von d alex Yes, uh, please write another edition of the auction. Most of our listeners hadn't heard of it before, and it was really, really well received. Little Literalist played it, I'm pretty sure, and I, I think he may have posted a, a, his writings on it to the subreddit. If I'm wrong, I I, that's so. very embarrassing, but <laughs> I'm pretty no, sure. No, 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 he did. I okay. remember, because we, okay, we, we wanted to go over it, and we haven't had the chance yet. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, we did. Huh. Well, there yeah. might be room for that down the line. Yeah, but I wanted to read this email out loud to tell you, yes, please write it. Please. <laughs> we know so much more about Swissy <laughs> now. And we have so much more Swissy to work with. So, yeah, give it a go. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it on the show. I'll fucking play it. The auction revamped or remastered? The auction revamped. Like yeah. The eBay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that even funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> At least, at least you're honest. Uh, Steven, what are we talking about this week? 
Uh, I wanted to go over another obscure adventure from Swissy's past that was also provided to us by the illustrious Alex Van D. Escape from Orto by Neil Carr. This is another one you may not have heard of. This is another one I wasn't able to find on the internet by my own, despite, you know, my, my fairly thorough internet archaeology I conduct for research for the show sometimes. So your black belt and Google foo. Exactly. Uh, internet archive is my best friend, especially for finding Swissy stuff. We're more than happy to, to feature it for you here today. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm really excited, Sam. I, I had a feeling you might like this one in particular, mostly because of its setting. No better way to start the module than by reading the intro from the author himself. So I'll just go ahead and get cracking here. Orto. Small. Cold. Barren. And located far in the outer rim within the Slewy sector. With only a small band of habitable land around its equator... Is created a race of creatures that are ravenous for food, the Ortolans. Fortunately, the planet itself is rich in minerals, and so from all across the galaxy, merchants and traders come with vast bundles of food to barter for ore and rare metals. Sam, when I was first reading this, I, I thought it was going to say that the Ortolans ate the minerals and the rocks and the metal. Because <laughs> <laughs> it says, fortunately, the planet is rich in minerals. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to eat the minerals. Uh, no. Yeah, no potassium deficiency here. They're all set. (laughs) The Ortorlans go out into the wastes of the planet, mining rock and sifting through soil for the metal which will enable them to feed their appetites. On huge barges, the ore travels down to great confluences where sprawling tarmacs have been built for thousands of off-world ships to land and the haggling to be done. Murgo is one of these cities that have built up to serve the diffuse marketplace that surrounds it. With a lax government and mostly unregulated markets, The city is a huge bazaar with endless haggling and in a million different shapes and sizes of sentient life forms who make a living off trade. However, all is not well in Murgo. The war with the separatists finally reached Orto when certain political factions took control of the government and aligned themselves with the Confederacy of Independent Systems. This brought armies of droids to defend the riches of Orto. It also brought the Grand Army of the Republic, which laid siege to Orto and reduced trade to a trickle. Pressure from without and within grew until just a week ago, a major assault by Republican forces began, just as the shield generators that protected Orto were sabotaged. Wait, 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 wait. Please, it's n- it can't be Republican forces. <laughs> wait, does it? Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that is that is what it says in the text, and I and I just blew right by it. Um, so it, must, it has to be Republic forces, right? It, That's it, what it's supposed to be. In Star Wars, they usually say Republic forces, yes. <laughs> the battle was fierce, and much of Murgo was being smashed as clone troopers fought entrenched positions manned by droids and the thousands of Ortolans who had sided with the Splinter government that had caused all of this. Just as it seemed that Orto itself might be gutted by the Republic to rid it of cis forces, suddenly the vast majority of droids shut down all at once, causing a rout and capitulation of the government. Oh, Order 99. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a good use of capitulation there. Yeah. That wasn't a joke, by the way. That is what the order to shut down all the battle droids was called. Oh, I thought you were just being silly. You're, you're right, No, though. it's straight up Order 99. Anakin did that when uh, when he when he killed all, all those guys on Mustafar. I think. He did He did an Order 99? I think he did Order 99. Or, he, or at least he enabled it to happen. Yeah. With fighting around the city over, the bustle of trade quickly regained itself. However, the overhead whine of LAAT gunships is pervasive throughout the metropolitan area and beyond. Squads of clone troopers patrol the city at all hours to make sure no insurrections begin. 
While trade is up, transportation is down. The Holonet is inexplicably down at the moment. Without regular astronavigational updates freely given through the Holonet, transport into hyperspace just isn't possible except for the most astute and brave astrogators. This is essentially grounding massive numbers of ships, which now blanket the spaceport or are seen racing by as blinking lights high in orbit. For the Atolans, there is an overall sense of relief that the great drama on their planet is hopefully over. But for off-worlders, the tension continues to grow as the military continues to impose harsh restrictions on movement off-world. Merchants are becoming desperate, profits are being lost, and now there is talk of a new empire. In the cantina, many questions are being asked, but none have any answers to what's in store for the future. I love this. Very, very cool. Like, a module perched daintily teetering on the edge between the Clone Wars and the Dark Times, literally the week after Order 66, on a distant, desolate, just grimy world. Um, It's cool. Worst spring break ever. <laughs> Seriously, can you imagine if you were just on vacation? Well, I guess I don't know why you go on vacation to Orto. Orto CU, baby. <laughs> Orto CU. Maybe you're on a maybe you're on a university like academic trip to study some rare geology here or something. Yeah, but- it's my semester abroad at Orto. <laughs> <laughs> you were late late for registering for your yeah, semester abroad. It's the only so place left. <laughs> That's there's your there's your character oh, for the for the module right there, dude. Oh, noble one who like signed up for a semester abroad, and he's like a spoiled rich kid yeah, from the spoiled from the grad student who like worlds. is too lazy to to file his semester abroad paperwork. And ended they up told on me I had to do the semester abroad in order to graduate. It's part of being worldly or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's that's the exact spirit I think of character this this module uh, deserves. Uh, this module is intended for four to six players of levels one or two. Uh, and like a good number of modules, it's intended as a kickoff for a long form campaign. And I think it does a great job of that. The author paints a vivid image of a bleak world. I can practically see Orto. It's gray, sooty, and desperate place where the grandest aspiration anyone has is to just make a quick buck. Uh, yucky. Yeah. Like Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We have friends in Seattle. We have friends in Seattle. Don't Rod- shoot. Yeah. Rod- Rodney. <laughs> Rodney would get a kick out of that. Come he would. On. He would. <laughs> um, and, and this is good because you don't want any players to be like, oh, yeah, maybe we'll stick around Orto. You know, you don't yeah, want. They're not going to buy a bar on Orto. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> you, you do not want your module called Leave Orto. To have Orto be a place where the players even want to spend, you know, more than a day than they have to. This module encourages the Game Master to provide characters with reasons to be on Orto, as well as reasons to want to get off of it. And it seems natural, but it has a helpful subsection with a very funny first sentence. Reading from the module, As a Game Master, it would be profitable to develop some degree of contextual background for the player characters. Steven, this was a new concept back then. They didn't know <laughs> this whole role-playing part of the role-playing game. It was still fairly new. <laughs> In starter modules, the obvious is often stated, and this is a good thing because they are starter modules. It could be someone's first time game mastering with this module. And, you know, as a little spoiler alert, I think this is actually a great module for someone's first time with Swissy. It, it, it has several key elements 
that make it a really good starter module. And you'll see why in just a sec. It has a cantina start, which is fine, but it leaves plenty of room for your own creative innovation, dear listener. And we don't provides- serve your kind here. Game <laughs> yeah. master. They'll have to wait outside. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. The, one of the greatest stories ever told has a cantina startup in its own way. There's two plot hooks provided in the story. It basically depends on, do you want a player character to own the ship or do you want an NPC to own the ship? In the case that one of the player characters owns a ship, they are looking for a crew to help them leave the planet. The module offers a little bit of advice on this. I have some too. I like player-owned ships. That's fun because it opens up a whole area of the game, starships that I... You can name them fucking weird things also. Yeah, you can name them weird things and it opens up a part of the game that I'm well known to enjoy. So uh, yes, I I like the first option here. Um, Make sure you give a level one party a, a really shitty ship. Like, do not give them a good ship. Give them a bad ship. Are we following everyone? What a piece of junk. Exactly. This is important for a few reasons. You don't want them to have a ship is a weapon effectively, or at least contains at least one. You don't want them to have a very great means of escape that is also a weapon at level one because you still want them to be able to sweat a little bit. Give them a choice of two to three crappy ships so they still feel like they have a sense of ownership over it but make sure it it sucks there's plenty of ships that suck in swissy so take your pick give them um give them a reason to need to get rid of it as soon as possible exactly make it hot. maybe it's got a reactor leak and then after an initial jump it's going to be unusable maybe a secret that the player character owner has is that it's stolen it's a hot item and needs to be dumped or fenced immediately (laughs) Maybe as soon as they get to the next planet. That's pretty fun. Maybe, I guess that's kind of the same reason. Maybe the player character committed a crime in that ship in a backstory and they cannot be seen with that ship left unless they be arrested. (laughs) It also gives the party room to move up, right? We talk about progression a lot and you don't want them to have the ship that they're supposed to be working towards at the beginning of the game, right? This is probably not going to be the ship they carry to the end leave room for there to be an epic awesome ship to the middle high part of their adventure. You could do um what well, I like what they do they do this in Star Wars sometimes where you you all have gathered the crew let's go get the ship the ship just gets destroyed for no reason. Yeah. And then it's like oh shit we need a new ship. <laughs> exactly. Or we need ha- another way off world rather like happens in Mandalorian, happens in The Force Awakens happens when the any time the falcon breaks of in in the original <laughs> trilogy like all of empire <laughs> look up the antiquated vehicle template cuz it you can apply that to any starship and it opens up a lot of options cuz maybe you do want to give them a really rusted and shitty cool ship and and that that's a a perfect thing you can do it just makes a cool ship worse it makes a cool ship storied steven oh yeah my apologies The other hook is an NPC shows up who owns a ship and is looking to leave the planet. And her name is M1KO. I'm a big fan. I've abridged her backstory here for the uh, convenience of radio. M1KO is a scientific droid who has worked for decades in the business of astronavigational charting. Her master was part of the Astronavigational Cartological Corps that was charted to manage and continuously update the astronavigational data for the Republic. After her master's death, she realized that being part of his property, it was inevitable that she would become sold as part of his estate, and she can only presume that whoever became her new master would induce a memory wipe. 
He wishes to avoid this at all costs and has spent the last several years faking her master's work and keep up appearances as if he were still alive. I, I just think that's cool. Obviously, M1KO is looking for the party's help to save her from a memory wipe and get off world. She's worried that the increasing scrutiny from the local empire will result in the discovery that her master's actually dead and then, bam, scrap heap for her. The gist? Everyone wants to leave Orto because it sucks shit. No one can because this new empire has turned off Holonet access and no one can get up-to-date astrogation data required to leave. After everyone's introduced and the party is bound by adventure, it's of course time to dive into the seedier areas of Murgo to find a slicer to hack the net after a couple of successful gather info checks, of course. Sprinkled in for flavor. One gather info check, of course, to find the local slums and then a second one to find the guy in the slums who can hack stuff. Everyone knows a slum guy. Everyone knows a slum guy. Gather Info means that they eventually stumble into a rusting cargo bay where they will meet the nefarious hacksaw Gefine. Gefine is a <laughs> scrawny old gran with dark plans. It says he's a gran in the module. His stat block says he's a quarren. I'm taking this as a grand W. Real <laughs> grand heads out there. Third eye, look up. We feel this. We run this town. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> We need more grand representation in this part of the galaxy, man. That was good, man. That was good. Um, He's a grand with a plan, Stephen. Let's hear it. My favorite um, grand is uh, Re-Eyes. He's a real character. Yes. Oh. He was a playable in the multiplayer mode of uh, Jedi Outcast. Oh, I, well, you know, my favorite grand is the one I did for that uh, that little literalist one shot that we were in. Oh my god, that's right. You were a Gran. I forgot you I was were a, a Gran. A, a sniper Gran who had a, um, an eye patch, but the secret was that his eye patch was fake. So he just. I mean, it was a real eye patch, but the reason he was wearing it was fake. So he would just flip it up when he was sniping. You paint such wonderful characters, Sam. I think it was, that was old a fun... two eye. I think that was his, his, like, his old. His... Please don't name your grand number and then I. <laughs> Everyone out there, just don't do that. Old two eyes. That was a fun uh, game we played. It basically turned into like a redneck rebel uprising. That was pretty funny. All we played with like four other dudes, and we all and we didn't. We, they were strangers to us. I mean, not perfect strangers, but you know, and that we all had the same character voice. <laughs> God. It was really funny. We just all decided so we were going to be the same redneck, and it, it was it was pretty funny. Oh man, sorry, I don't mean to distract with the grand talk, but let's let's hear more about Gaffine. Gaffine is the head of a local gang, and he's looking to seize opportunity in the quiet chaos and gain control of Murgo's criminal underworld. Gaffine is equal parts scummy and paranoid. He seeks to take advantage of the party by shaking them down, holding them for ransom, etc. Depending on the party's gather info performance, he may be aware that they're out looking for him. As he meets with the party... That's, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's really cool. Yes. Having gather info, the failure be not that you don't get the information, but that you make a scene getting the information and it's known to everyone involved. Yet another subtle masterstroke from this author, and it really comes together in this next encounter I'm about to read out. This guy knew, or, or knows, his Swissy. That is a written consequence of Gather Info in the core rulebook that 
people don't really talk about all that much. Check out our Gather Info episode that we did at some point, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm scanning my brain for like, what did. is it called? I remember, I remember proselytizing about Gather Info at one point or another. I'm gonna, you, you keep going, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in with the name of the Gather Info episode. Great. As he meets with the party, he will covertly signal to his thugs to take hidden positions around the cargo bay. Eventually, he'll find offense in something the party says, or I think in the module it says someone will instigate someone else, which is just a really funny way to put it. <laughs> uh, the episode was episode 56, Information Inquiry. Beautiful. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> Eventually, you know how this goes. Combat kicks off one way or another. Someone's itchy trigger finger triggers, and then we're off to the races roll initiative. The module includes DCs for the party to become savvy to all of the above, by the way. So perception checks to hear thugs shuffling into uh, hidden locations, you know, perception check. It, it, get, it leaves it wide open for actually dealing with caffeine, which is, is wise. It's like, okay, parties will approach this with perception checks, deception checks, stealth checks, mind tricks, you know, just be ready for all of that. And, and it's, it's very true. Um, Can I tell you, Thug Shuffling is the name of my next <laughs> R&B album. You said it. I'm no, just, that's good. I'm that's point- good. <laughs> it just it caught me off guard. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, we're moving into what the module calls Encounter A. And it's pretty standard as far as first combats go. And I think that's a great thing. Uh, the author includes a very intuitive map that has remained clean and legible after years of digital compression. There's ample space, plenty of cover, verticality, and room for a couple hazards if you're running this Ooh. with a more seasoned party. Um, my Sam, my magnetic crane arm senses are are tingling. This isn't a car. You got to get that checked out. They told yeah. me that it was going to be temporary. It was just a growth <laughs> that it turned into a magnetic crane arm. And I, I just want my friend back, man. <laughs> You're always lifting crates and placing them on transports. <laughs> Sam, there's even two different thug loadouts. Oh my god! You went to the extra effort of making a separate thug stat block with a with a light repeating blaster instead of the the standard thug armaments, uh, Sam. And I think this encounter meets the basic principles of the encounter design checklist. Hey, all right, bud. It's th- first day in thug school. Here's your thug <laughs> armaments. God damn. Um. Thug armaments. It's such a good phrase. It's so good, Steven. Thank you. I'm going to share this map with you so you can get a look at it. Ooh, let's take a look. You too, listener. Get on this. Get on this jazz. Oh my God. It's got it all, Steven. You're right. right. It's got rooms. It's got covering. I'd sprinkle in maybe, you know, maybe it's an older, rustier cargo base. So maybe it's not meant to be very full. But, you know, I'd throw in a few more crates here to hide around. But, Overall, this is great, especially for the sort of maps we usually get on here from from old modules. My my notes so include like shipping containers for cover. Yeah, right. Not just crates, but throw in a shipping container or two. That's that's we already and have that. No, no, those are those are crates. It says cargo containers. Yeah, but you don't you don't like get inside those ones. Oh, you mean um, ones you want to like crawl crawl ones inside? Ones you can like you can like stand inside and like oh, walk okay. through and stuff like yeah. that. Okay, very uh, and cool. then you can climb on top of also. And then another great a great note about this is it's got egresses that multiple enemies can enter through if it's getting too good on the party. Yes, it I, has it's my favorite. egresses. It has difficult terrain. 
it has an enemy variety. Oh There's my God, this no is explicit hazards, which I, I think is you get a pass for that on on your very first combat. You don't need to drop hazards on your party in, in their first combat. But this this is great. I love it. So we don't need to tell you how the party's first fight against was this six thugs should go. Um, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I think if you're listening to this show, um, 88 episodes and you have a pretty good idea of, of exactly what that looks like. So, of course, the thugs get trounced. If one or more of them survives and begs for their life and offers information on a nearby communication substation, where the party can attempt to tap into the holonet and acquire that precious, precious astrogation data. They'll even offer their credit chips, 2,000 credits per player, if they can just walk away with their lives. Simple as that. Oh, Steven, that sounds so sick. What happens next? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, um, we, I do know, and we'll cover it next week. Give people Ooh. a chance to run the module for themselves or read it for themselves. We've I, I don't think you've done that on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we spoil everything immediately, Stephen. Come on. Oh, I forgot to mention, Neil also provided detailed stat blocks, which appear to be handmade in the module, as well as encounter tracker for every encounter in this module and detailed That's tactics for all three enemy types in this encounter which is that's really cool. See, that's one of those things where, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, but module makers just assume that as a a game master, I see a stat block and I know immediately what to do with it. Yeah. Cause even experienced game masters, like my friend, Steven, like when I give him a stat block, I makes, he's just like, I don't know what's going on here. It looks cool. Got a cool helmet and two guns. Yeah, cool helmet, two guns. Awesome. And I'm like, bro, you're missing the key thing. You help me out. The though. guns hurt. <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to slash whisper my GM on roll 20, which feels like the worst thing you can do during the session. I don't think so. I needed your help. <laughs> All right. Well, so I'm excited to cover more of what, what, what's this? It's called Escape, Escape from, from Orto. Orto. By Neil Carr. Thank you so much, Neil. Yeah, thanks, Neil. If you're listening out there, that's crazy. Reach out. Yeah, and, yeah, and reach out. Uh, you left your email in this module. I think we might shoot a message over there just to see if that address is still active or not. It's a it's a Yahoo, so you know who knows. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's collected dust somewhere. But yeah, uh, maybe we'll touch on more in this next episode. But he's also got a whole section of author notes where. He he has observations and anecdotes from the time he ran this encounter and what each player did and how each encounter went, which was that awesome. sounds so rad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so much care and detail in this module compared to others like it from this time. Uh, well done, Neil. A true diamond in the rough. Very much so. I did not expect much when I plucked this one from uh, from the folder, but I was pleasantly surprised. Cool font too. You know, I love a good font. Uh, you're a, a font fanatic, Steve. I mean, a little bit of a font fetishist, if you asked me. Let's just move on from that. A real font pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sit you guys to the break. Steven. Hey, Sam. <laughs> Whoa, who's this yeah. guy? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I just took a sip of water, so I'm really energized. Oh, he's hy- hydrated, Steve. <laughs> My least favorite Marvel character. <laughs> Hydrated Steve. God damn. 
Oh, man. This is the part of the show where we thank you for listening to the show. We have some news regarding the... I know it's been out... What's been, that's been on top of everyone's mind, right, Stephen? The future of the Dark Times podcast. Like, the future of the Dark Times podcast. Right. And it's something that's been on our minds, too. Um, Sam and I decided a short time ago that we wanted to make it to a hundred episodes of the dark times. We also decided that Swissy has catalyzed our love for role-playing for RPGs. And we think that we're ready to go a little bigger. We, we think we're ready to step into a slightly larger world. And by that, we I, mean, go ahead. I, I, I'd like to make this point because I, I, I thought about this a lot, especially when I brought it to you yeah. uh, from the get-go, is that the scope of the Dark Times as it is now is, it's great. It's bigger than I ever imagined it could yes. be, right? It's larger than I could ever have quantified in a million years, but it's very much about a game from 15. It's about a, a Star Wars RPG made by Wizards of the Coast in 2007 that has had discussions and forums, forums that are still being used today uh, by people for many, 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 many years. And it's just one of those things where I felt like we've, there's only so much we could cover in this show, really. Right. And I, I'll speak more to that point in a little bit. Yeah. The, the bottom line is that we love Swissy and we think we're ready to move on to a more broader, like sci-fi role-playing podcast. So yeah. the dark times the system and I are getting a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm Kids. trying to like figure out how we can talk about this without sounding like uh, trying to explain divorce to my young child. Kids, your, your system and I are getting a divorce. <laughs> so all of this to say the dark times, a saga edition podcast will come to an end. After episode 100. The Dark Times uh, sci-fi RPG podcast will continue from that point on. Sam and I don't hate each other or anything like that. Some people jump to <laughs> conclusions like that. I don't think any of you would suspect that. It's not like that. We don't even hate Swissy. Personally, as a game master, I just feel like I've, I, I've put on this jacket a, a few times. You know, I feel like I'm ready to try a few other suits out. And I feel like my experience, my enjoyment of Swissy is nearing completion. Uh, Sam, consider all the different ways we've played and discussed and thought about Swissy. You and I and, and fans of the show have taken it to the limit, right? Can, can you yeah, say there's absolutely, can, can you name things in Swissy we haven't tried or done or talked about? There's not. I'm sure someone lot. can, and yes. which is why we're mentioning this now. <laughs> but that's the other point I wanted to make is that when Swissy went out of print, when Swissy ended, when Wizards lost the license, that didn't mark the end of Saga Edition, right? We, we, everyone listening right now is living proof of that. And, and Swissy is in a golden age, it's second renaissance, truly. Because the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast ends, does not mean it's over, right? What I hope, in my dream scenario, us stepping away from Saga Edition leaves a void to be filled by others. I think 
out there right now. There's another Sam and Steven. <laughs> oh my God. Ready to take a podcast. You have to kill them? Is that what happens? No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. Not yet. It's just if they, if they ever start making more on Patreon than we ever did, then we have to kill them. <laughs> so, yeah, we are ending our Saga Edition podcasting career. We are not ending our love for podcasting. And I want everyone to consider this a call to action to never stop loving Swissy, to never forget Swissy, and to use what we all started here together, not just me, not just Sam, not just the two of us, not anything but everyone here. Keep it up. You know, continue the momentum. Learn from the lessons that we learned making the dark times. We wanted this show to be a platform to demonstrate creativity and skillful game mastering in Saga Edition. And I think it's mission success. And inspire, inspire anybody to pick up uh, a pen and paper and a D20 and play some Saga Edition. And I think we've done that. Yes. And Sam, I could not have been prouder to do it by your side with your skills, both in editing and producing in managing my crazy fucked up harebrained mind. Thank you, Sam. And Steven, every day I wish you were Roddy Thompson. (laughs) Me too. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But since you're not, I couldn't imagine anyone else I would be doing this with. (laughs) Thank you, buddy. Um, and just coincidentally, the hundred episode mark is it's fastly approaching. Yeah. We are at 88 of a hundred. And it, if we go over, if we go under, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it is coinciding with the release of a new RPG system that you and I are both incredibly hyped for. Yes. And are already big fans of. And listener, you- this transition will coincide with the beginning of the public play test for Starfinder second edition, which we plan to actively and loudly participate in. Not just as players, but as members of the community, as game masters, just getting our, getting ourselves out there. Right. Don't be discouraged by this. We will always forever be part of the Swissy community. There's so much more we could have done with this show. So don't leave us here. Pick it up. There you go. Wow. But Steven, what? What about the cool Saga Edition exclusive things that we had planned for the Patreon? Well, they're still coming, folks. We have two major releases coming for you on the Patreon. Things that were promised and things that we will deliver on. First up, a live, oh no, it's not going to be live, but a a recorded (laughs) demonstration of the dual rules we cooked up here on the show with some input from the community. They're basically the Pathfinder 2nd Edition dual rules that have been all dressed up in Swissy goodness. And honestly, Sam, I'm really excited to to try them out with you on, on Patreon. That'll be a, a, a recording of, of a Roll20 instance, I'm sure, of us just beating each other with virtual lightsabers, yeah. essentially mashing action figures together. Um, Yay! Two podcasters enter the ring with no net. <laughs> <laughs> Only one will come out victorious. <laughs> and folks, uh, this was something that was obviously meant to happen a long time ago to uh, more scrutinizing listeners of the show. This was before, of course, my life got turned upside down. The Dark Times module will be coming your way. It's in a partially completed state. It will be finished. It might not be as robust as we initially had hoped for, but it will be 
and mark my words, it will be an ample, fun, entertaining way to get a Swissy campaign kicked off at your table. Hell yeah. Well, that's, I think that's all we can say, Steven. I don't, I, I, we can't yeah. milk the Patreon anymore with that, with no <laughs> that big one at the beginning. Yeah. No. So yes, th- this is the 88th episode of the dark times. I hope to God it is. Cause we said 88 a lot this episode and I hope my math isn't wrong. I double once. checked on a cast. It's, it's gotta be 88 <laughs> okay, or something's God. really this fucked. This is yeah. the 88th episode of the dark times podcast. I just check a cast now. I don't even rely on, on me to know. <laughs> And once we hit around 100, that'll be the, we're, we're hitting the summer years of the dark times. What are they called? Yep. Is that what they call them? The summer years? Um, dog, dog days? Oh, the golden the years, day. Sam. The golden years. Yeah. The golden years of the dark times podcast. The golden weeks of the, the dark weeks. times podcast. Not to be confused with the golden week that they have in Japan. Right. Let's send you guys back to the show. Enough of me rambling. Sambling. Sambling, as, as it's known. Steven, it's a double email special. We've got another email. Oh, you know, I love them. Hot off the presses, an email from Iroh. Oh, I love Iroh's emails. Uh, hi, guys. It's been some time since I've written to you. Unfortunately, due to business, I couldn't participate in the Assassin Build Showcase. For sure, it would have been my first win, LOL. <laughs> I believe it. Anyway, I was inspired by this Steven O post from The Sag Continues. About Not me, troopers. by the way. Stephen O. Stephen yeah. O. I was inspired by this Stephen O. post from the saga continues. To build an encounter versus six level 13 player party with non-heroic elite trooper opponents. Therefore, here I present to you the non-heroic elite Old Republic Neo Crusader Super Squad. With the following base build, you can have multiple CL4 mooks that can be really challenging. All have delayed damage from elite trooper and a jetpack if needed. This team was a very hard challenge for my party thanks to a surprise attack and a good use of their skills. The party managed to get the win, but the encounter was really memorable. Sorry for the long post. Maybe it is too much for the podcast. I think that the work of Steven O's should be shared because it could be a really great idea to challenge a party without using very elaborate builds. Cheers, Iroh. Iroh is, of course, referring to the Steven O's post on the side continues about the Elite Trooper Prestige class. In that post, Stephen O's introduced something called the Base CL4 Elite Trooper. This is a non-heroic 8 Soldier 1 Elite Trooper 1 with a pretty good a pretty good stat build, uh, basic array of strength, dex, con 12, intwiz 8, intwiz charisma 8, with plus 6 you can put in 1, and then plus 4 in any 1. Oh, sorry, plus 6 point by remaining, and then plus 4 in any 1 ability score. We're looking at the feats Armor Efficiency Light and Medium, Martial Arts 1, Point Blank Shot, a two additional starting feats and two general feats, one talent from Armor Specialist, Weapon Specialist, Commando, or Mercenary, Force Unleashed, Campaign Guide, uh, plus one from Elite Trooper, from any Elite Trooper talent tree. Uh, it gets any one trained skill except use the Force, and also comes with a combat jumpsuit because an Elite Trooper is going to be wearing armor until heroic level dictates otherwise. Using this as a base, Iroh created seven Incredible Mandalorian fighters, but I'm only going to highlight two here. I love this. It's like a stat block template. It's so cool. It's so good. It's so good. Iroh wrote little blurbs for each, so I'll read those, then talk about the specific feats slash talents. The the first up is the Mandalorian Autofire Heavy Gunner. Its role is really simple. Stay in the back, brace and autofire, sweep all the enemies in a six-square cone using within point-blank range. 
I decided to train him in initiative. A plus 13 is not too bad. He's equipped with Neo Crusader Assault Armor for a plus 10 boost to its reflex defense and a plus 4 42 defense and to damage threshold. He's got 47 HP. Steven, armor is for NPCs. Armor is for NPCs. Why did it take me so long to figure that out in this system? (laughs) Armor is for NPCs. This is a good demonstration of of why armor is for NPCs. Um, Absolutely. It's, 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 the more longer I stare at these, at, at these seven Mando fighters, the more I'm just seeing like, Parts of NPC design just just fleeing out towards me. It's really really cool. It's this is really cool. These are really cool builds. And this is what we need. We need interesting, scary mooks. You know, your party's wiped out dozens of thugs, dozens of of stormtroopers. You know, these are still mooks proper, but they've got a little bite to them. And ooh, mm, mm, spicy. I like it. Uh, a little kick, a little a little roasted garlic on that mook. Mm-hmm. Oh man. First up, we've got a pr- improved suppression fire from the weapon specialist talent tree from the Lexi era campaign guide. When you successfully suppress an enemy using the aid, another action, that enemy takes a minus five penalty on its attack rolls until starting your next turn. When targeting an area with auto fire weapon, each enemy in the attack area takes a minus two penalty on its attack rolls until the start of your next turn, regardless of whether your attack hits. This pairs really well with auto fire sweep, the feat from the Lexi era campaign guide, Prereq is weapon-focused, chosen weapon. In this case, it's heavy weapons. Effect, when making an auto-fire attack with a weapon with which you possess the weapon-focused feat, you can attack all targets in a six-square cone. The origin square of the cone can be any square within your line of sight and within point-blank range. We love auto-fire sweep. We do. We do. Special. This feat cannot be used with the auto-fire assault feat or the burst-fire feat. It can be used with the improved suppression fire talent. And last up, we've got Controlled Burst from the Weapon Master Talent Tree. Your penalty when making an auto-fire attack or using the Burst Fire feat is reduced to minus two. In addition, when you, if you brace an auto-fire only weapon, you have no penalty on your attack roll. Aiming is really the poor man's bracing, wouldn't you think, Steven? <laughs> I think that's one way to put it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bracer. I don't, I don't aim. I'm a bracer, for sure. You're, you're a bit of a bracer. I feel like aiming is way more common than bracing. Because bracing, you reduce the minus on auto fire, which is un. I think that needs to be looked at more because it's really good. It is because going from minus five to minus two and then hitting four people, uh, more likely to hit more four people is great. And aiming, what does aiming really do, Stephen? Well, I'm on the, I'm on the soapbox now. What does aiming really do? Oh, reduces cover. Like oh, yeah, okay. ignores cover, ignores concealment. I mean, ignores cover. Re- Yes, P- potentially reducing the enemy's effective reflex defense by ten. That's one thing. Okay, you know what else I can do to, to you know what else I can do to reduce cover? I can move fucking six squares, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right in your face, man. I got my shotgun ready. Like, come on. Oh yeah. Sorry, I'll get. Off, I'm off the soapbox. I'm kicking the soapbox. Yeah, give down that the back. To one. <laughs> it does say Steven's soapbox on it. Up next is the Mandalorian bodyguard. With commanding presence plus draw fire plus total defense, reflex defense goes to 33 SR 30 shields and delay damage makes him a little juggernaut. Oh, little my juggernaut. God. I love that little juggernaut. He's got the usual Neo Crusader assault armor and he's trained in acrobatics, endurance, persuasion, plus 10, plus 12 and plus 17, respectively. He has 66 HP rolled. He obviously never attacks with a, with a little luck. He can also come back to life with never surrender. Uh, we've got 
commanding presence from the mercenary talent tree from the Force Unleashed campaign guide, not the leadership talent tree talent from the core rule book. It's also okay. called commanding presence. Oh, boy. Once per encounter, you can activate this talent as a swift action until the end of the encounter. All your opponents within six squares of you take a minus two penalty to their will defense. This is a mind affecting fear effect. Additionally, persuasion is now considered a class skill for you. <laughs> I love that. Amazing. Paired with my personal favorite, draw fire, the commando talent tree talent. You can distract opponents that uh, convince them that you're the most tempting or most dangerous target in the area. As a swift action, make a persuasion check and compare the result to the will defense of all opponents with a line of sight. If the check result exceeds an opponent's will defense, that opponent cannot attack any character within six squares of you until the start of your next turn, as long as you do not have cover against that opponent. The affected opponent may still attack you, however. If you're the pilot of a vehicle, you can use it to protect allied vehicles. You may use it to protect vehicles no more than one size category larger than your own. That's not important here. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly is the Never Surrender Galaxy at Warfeet, prerequisite trained in endurance. The first time you would be reduced to zero hit points in an encounter, you can make an endurance check as a reaction with a DC equal to the number of hit points of damage being dealt to you. If your check succeeds, you are instead reduced to one hit point. I love this. It's I love good. it. Also included in Iroh's Mandalorian Super Squad is a medic that can second wind, a melee brute that can do a little crit fishing, your run-of-the-mill Mandalorian rifleman, and a Mandalorian leader that pilots a basilisk war droid. Please, 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 please give them a read and throw them at your party. It honestly sounds like such a fun encounter, no matter the setting. Thanks again, Iroh. What if they had, like, coordinated armor that that, that they each have their own color that, that, you know, is like a... That represents them and they have like coordinated kung fu moves and do like front flips and oh, stuff. Oh, and they have a bunch, they have five basilisk war droids that yeah. combine into one big basilisk war droid. Just an idea. The mighty Mando Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> that, what did you think about those, Steven? I thought they were, you know, I'll be honest, Sam. I saw these a while ago when they like first dropped. I went when Steven O made his first post on Saga Continues. And I was too lazy to read through it at the time. So I'm really, really glad that Iroh brought him to our attention with some extra little spice on him. Cause this is fucking awesome. Yeah. These rule, these rule. I mean, it's making a Mandalorians was a no brainer and that it puts the Mandalorian. I think the problem is that the Mandalorian armor is really cool, but for player characters, it's not really helpful. Not unless always, you no. go full, full unless deep that's in your the armor. Yeah. Yeah. Unless that's your deal. This is your armor guy, but yeah. like you're a Mandalorian, you're all armor guys. Like what makes you a better armor guy? And this is what makes it work is that these elite troopers have armor proficiency and they're wearing the Mando armor and they have really shitty heroic levels. <laughs> They've only got one. <laughs> like they're doing a great job or like three, I think two soldier, one elite trooper. But yeah, it's, it's pretty sick. I love it. And all these for like CL. I let me see what he said. Iroh said they're CL something. Oh, so these are all CL4. I didn't realize that. That's that's super sick. Yeah. I knew the rock. I knew the base was CL4. I just didn't think that these would also be CL4. Um the the commander, the captain is actually CL6. It has two two additional levels in Elite Trooper. Oh neat. So go go that's check that out. I think so as well. righty, Steven. Do you have any trivia for us this week? I do. In order to make the clone troopers sound like individuals, D. Bradley Baker recorded every voice separately and gave each one a different inflection in the animated The Clone Wars series. 
He liked to write down a particular adjective for each one. For instance, some sound a bit younger, others sound a bit more proper, whereas another may sound like a bully or a grunt. During later seasons, he was able to record all of these voices in the same take. Anyone who's seen an inkling of the Clone Wars, and especially the Bad Batch, knows the Bradley Baker is going to go down in history as an immensely skilled voice actor. I I mean, he is already. Yes. He does other voices for other shows. He's a great voice actor. Um, I do like to think about him recording the Bad Batch. Just it's got to be really one- funny, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, like one dude in one studio talking to himself. <laughs> I bet scheduling for that show is dead easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, D, are you available? Oh, sorry, let me check with D. Uh, D, are you available? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> but can you imagine doing it in like early seasons of The Clone Wars where they had to, it took five hours to record one episode? Because oh, he, he had to run the lines with different people every single time. <laughs> So funny. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, alrighty. The Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast, is produced by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your show. Tell us what about the show and tell your table about the show and tell us you told your table at the show. We'll shout you guys all out on the show. And please, if there's anything you want us to cover in the last stretch of the Dark Times, the golden, the golden weeks of the Dark Times podcast, Please, 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 please send it to us, darktimesswse at gmail. Steven, do you have any quote for us this week? You call this a diplomatic solution? No, I call it aggressive negotiations. Inside you, there are two wolves, and one, one is Padme, one is, one is Anakin. <laughs> oh, man. Do you see Mark Hamill tweeted uh, about the Golden Globes? He tweeted, finally met my mother, in quotes, and it's a picture of him and Natalie Portman. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I'm very, very happy about that. <laughs> so good all right uh good night everybody mm, steven hmm? what is it tell me cancel the tell me you were gonna cancel the podcast you did not hmm? Well, Yoda, we've kind of... It's not an easy thing to just get on the air and say. We've been thinking about it for a while, really. You know, we need... Yoda, we need to think... Yoda, we... You didn't... Yoda, we didn't even think we'd make it to 50 episodes, let alone 100. Do or do not. Yeah, do not. Do not. I choose do not. No, no. option. Yoda, get out of here, man. Go back to your green room. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Wait in there, I will. <laughs> see, see me, you will not. <laughs> yeah, we you already did that joke a couple weeks ago, Yoda. Oh, man. I hate it when we walk into the green room and he just jumps on our heads from yeah. the ceiling. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>